0: So thanks, Juan, for joining me for our work now and in the future. Um, The topic for this month is um, how technology humanizes work. Um, And I know you and I have have been chatting a little bit ahead of this about what that can really mean in a myriad of ways. And so I think the goal with our our chat today, um, kind of talking through what that looks like, you know, I want to talk about human intelligence a little bit um, and how that kind of plays into that theme. Some things um, from a trend perspective that we're really seeing, but before we dive into the conversation, um, I really want to um, introduce, you know, introduce ourselves. So I'll do a quick lead in on me and then I would love for you to, to talk a little bit about who you are in your background. So my name is Lex Benner. I'm a senior talent uh, and people and culture leader here at Living HR. I've been with the company for about oh, eight and a half years or so at this point, which always feels really surreal to say, because I think the time just, it goes so fast. Um, but really what I do here, um, kind of touch on all things HR, right? I I do in the talent space. I do kind of in the traditional HR space. I do a lot of advising on culture with a lot of our clients. So we do um, what we do. We kind of meet with our clients, And really understand where they are and what their goals are and we help them. So we do sort of an assessment in a lot of cases of what's going on now. Um, We'll do some surveys, we'll talk to different team members, understand what's going on. So we'll kind of create this roadmap of where you are now and where you want to be. And then we dive in and do the work. And sometimes that means bringing in tech solutions. So I have a pretty heavy background in doing tech implementations and making sure that those really fit for the organization. They work with the organization and they do the things we want them to do, which is to automate functions and and help give lift to the people team. So that's a little bit about me. And I'd love one for you to introduce yourself and, and sort of a little bit about human intelligence. And we'll dive into a little bit more of that as we chat.
1: Sure, I'm Juan Betancourt um, from Maryland originally, live in Miami today. I'm the CEO of Human Intelligence. Uh, uh, Had a very uh, uh, zigzag career um, from uh, education at Harvard for my college and and Wharton Business School from MBA to Procter & Gamble doing consumer products to Reebok and Puma, uh, as well then going to technology at Siebel Systems, the first CRM, kind of before Salesforce, then working in uh, the largest sports manufacturing retailer in the world called Decathlon out of France, um, and then uh, moving to headhunting. I was a partner at Hydric and Struggles and Corn Ferry for eight years and on my own firm, and then launching human intelligence, uh, what we call the culture software, about six years ago. Uh, about 15 years of my work career were, was in Europe and South America. Uh, I speak five languages fluently, avid, passionate soccer fan, and have two wonderful kids and a great wife.
0: That's awesome. That's really cool. Five languages. So I have to ask what, what languages do you speak?
1: So it's all the romance ones. Uh, I speak uh, obviously English and then uh, romance ones: Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, and French, and I speak them all actually as, as well as English.
0: That's really impressive. That's really cool. What a cool experience that you have.
1: Yeah. And do you want me to tell you more about human intelligence or do we leave that for another question?
0: Yeah. So I'm curious a little bit about, um, So what led you to creating human intelligence? What was the sort of story behind you seeing the need and and what, um, you know, what the catalyst was for, for creating it?
1: Yeah, so as I mentioned my career path, I worked at some of the best run companies in the world. So let's put Procter & Gamble there, um, right? More CEOs come out of that company than any other company uh, or combination of companies combined. So I saw how culture was important. I saw how it was different though in different countries when I worked internationally for them. And then I worked at companies that were not so well run. I, I won't name them here, but some companies that uh, uh, could, could use a Procter & Gamble type culture. Um, I also saw um, what it was like to hire because I was a recruiter for, for 10 years. Um, and how important fit was more so than resume in terms of success and predictive success. I also, my whole career as an executive, took personality tests and assessments and always wondered, wow, this fun, amazing workshop with a consultant is amazing, but two weeks later, the value goes to zero for both the company who spent the money on those workshops and the individual because nobody really retains all that information. Um, I saw what software could do in SaaS and, 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 and how software can help personalize things in the beginning of, of CRM, which made the customer experience better. And so combining all those different things, I, I always had a vision of how can I make the workplace um, a more fun, easier place to be through people, not through automating processes, which is what software has always done, but using software just to make the experience of work better. And so I was blessed to be uh, becoming very spiritual in my 40s. I'm today for 51. And in, in that spiritual practice, I would meditate almost every day and, and even spend weekends starving myself, actually. And, and I don't know if it was meditation or hallucination, but uh, getting insights as to what I could build. And I got the idea to launch human intelligence in a meditation uh, that would really help improve uh. The workplace for all employees, not just for the company, but as we've seen with COVID and the the flipping that model where employees are kind of uh, you know you know mandated by the company, the equation is now equal. Companies and employees are equal, and they both have rights. And so, the timing is right to launch human intelligence, and we've accelerated during the COVID and post-COVID world, um, where you got to make the experience at work great for an individual. It's not just about making money for the company. And so uh, human intelligence actually delivers on that promise where companies can make more money because they're more, they're performing better teams are performing, but individuals also now can be understood better and collaborate better and have more fun and reduce friction uh, with a platform like ours. We, we call it culture as a service. Uh, many people call us Moneyball for HR, um, you know, or EQ everywhere or emotional intelligence everywhere.
0: That's really cool. And so that's interesting because one of the um, one of the ways that we support the people teams at Living HR is we call it people and culture as a service, right? So our team acts a lot like an agency does like on the marketing side, whatever, but we do that for the people function. So we have experts in all areas. You kind of get like the Harlem Globetrotters, if you will, but like piecemeal as you need it. You need a comp expert. We've got one, we've got all the systems and they can kind of lend help. For that time of the year where you really need the help to do that or piecemeal here and there. So we also call it people and culture as a service. That's great. I want to touch on something you said, because I think it's really interesting. So when we think about technology, we do, we think about automation as the, the way that it humanizes work. But I think when we're talking about how tech can humanize work, it's a thousand different things, right? So part of it is automation, right? And I'll, I'll pull back. In the olden days of HR, I remember getting these handwritten forms from people for benefits for new hires, trying to decipher their handwriting one at a time, putting them into our HRIS, one at a time into all of the different benefit carrier systems, hoping that I was getting the data right. And all of that time I spent was not time I was spending sitting with them, answering the questions that they had, helping them understand our culture, really making sure that I was setting them up for success. So I do think automation plays a part in helping humanize work, but there's so many other ways. And so I'm curious with that phrase, kind of what some of the things are that come to mind for you. when we're talking about how tech really can humanize the work beyond just sort of the automation, which I think is the default everybody kind of thinks of.
1: Yeah. So just like our phones became smartphones, I believe tech will auto, will humanize work because Tech will become smart tech, and so AI, machine learning, digital technology, whatever the fancy term you're gonna one uses, um, it it's gonna do things that people don't want to do. It's gonna change the experience of work, and the experience of work will become better and more fun. And so it'll help redesign jobs um, and the activities within jobs. It'll help redesign the workflows at companies for people, so that they can focus on what makes them human. So they can focus on creativity not the data entry that you were just describing in your example um but the creativity if you had more time because of your your process you described was automated you'd have 10 hours more to see if there's patterns and things that might be useful for those people applying to a job and the benefits right so it it allows you to be more creative it allow people to to focus on relationship building um it allow people to be more intuitive in their decision making it allow for humans to be more empathetic at work and and do real problem solving and so all of those things are going to come from more smart tech. Um, you know there's kind of a, a general rule of seven or eight things that smart tech and AI and machine learning will do for employees if applied the right way so not to replace people but to change their experience it'll make um, you know smart tech will make work uh, and technology more joyful to use right so it won't just be functions it'll be an experience um, it'll make things more personable and personalized. So everybody's experience is about them, not about just this is the same for everyone in the company. Um, it, it'll make things more trustworthy and accessible, right? For uh, LGBTQ or or handicapped people, technology will allow everyone to coexist in a fair, balanced way. Um, uh, you know, it'll uh, it, it'll be able to build in ethics so that you don't have the great two thousand eight you know decline where you know. Essentially, ten people in the finance world brought down the world economy. Smart tech will prevent jerks from cheating the system, right? That's a good thing if you can build ethics into algorithms and AI. Um, you know, robots will do the drudge. Why would somebody who's, let's say, less educated, want to work in a warehouse picking things up all day and 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 you know, getting back pain? And when you can now have a robot do all that work and let that person get trained and skilled in more higher. Functioning things, um, work will become more human-like and and more friendly. So those are all the different things that kind of smart tech will deliver if used properly.
0: Yeah, and I wanna I wanna touch on on something that you said because I think you know one of the other areas, kind of leveling that playing field, talking about that. So I was I was out this weekend and I saw that there's uh, we were at a restaurant and there's an app where if the person scans it with their phone, it'll read the menu to them. So somebody who's visually impaired, now of oh, trying great. to understand what the menu says, you know, they can use this app and it'll read it to them. And I think applications in the workplace could be huge and you change the landscape of work for all these people who maybe couldn't participate fully or in the same way before, now we're sort of making that go away. I think there's other things, trends I've started to see on the applicant tracking system side, speaking of recruiting, is blinding or anonymizing resumes. I think it's, you know, it's called a, a myriad of things depending on what platform you use. It kind of helps mitigate some of that hiring bias, right? So if you're looking at two equal resumes, unconsciously you might drift towards one resume over another depending on what the name says or what the school that they went to looks like. Um, so I think there's a and and that is a great thing, right? Because even if you don't realize you have that bias, if it's there, if it's present, if we can mitigate that as much as possible using tech we level that playing field back out and give chances where they should have existed, but maybe don't as much. Um, so I think there's, I love that. And I love the personalization aspect. I think we live in a very consumer driven world. And if we think about it, our employees are our consumers. They're consumers of our brand in a very different way than you know, your external consumers are. But we kind of expect personalization. Now I want things to be tailored to me But recognizing that on the back end, administering that can be really, really tricky. So if we can have tech do that hard work for us, right, we can set it up and we can monitor, we can do all these things, but we can offer people different options, depending on what they want to see and how they opt in. And so I think that's uh, a really good point to make about some of these, some of the different ways tech does all these things. And I know human intelligence, if I'm not mistaken, helps do some of that resume anonymizing on the hiring end. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So I'll, let me address a couple of things you mentioned about personalization. I mean, imagine a world where, you know, when you go on Netflix, it has the little tiles and these are suggested for you. Imagine you go sign up, you go work at a company and for benefits, instead of you going to the website and looking through hours of options, mm-hmm. you just fill in who you are, what you're like, what your risk factors are and health. And it just presents, hey, here are tiles of things that work for you in terms of wellness and benefits. And here are gyms that you can sign up there near your home. And everything becomes personalized in in the kind of benefits and comp. Um, here's my career. Here's what I want to achieve in my career. Here's where I want to do. So now the company kind of has a plan and the system optimizes their career and their career path and who they're going to work for and what groups are going to work for. And the next 15 years are carved out. We used to do that um, in, a, in a manual way at Procter & Gamble, where you could Chart your 15-year career at Procter Gamble, but it would take hours sitting with your boss and they would sit with their boss and with the head of HR. If that was all optimized, just like your routing systems are optimized at UPS, someone's career could be optimized where now they don't have to quit jobs and look for a new job, and which is painful for companies and a cost that's huge for them to lose great people. Now you can literally say, what do I want in my life as my career? And where do I wanna do it, hybrid or remote? And all that will be optimized for a company, if they want some people in the office, some people remote or a combination, it all gets done for you, personalized to you. Right? That is the future of, of, of you know the beauty of how technology can help all that. Now, turning to your question on human intelligence, we make things personal. We, we do a lot of things that make work more humanized. I mean, we, we don't automate process at all. What we're doing is infusing psychometrics, basically personality tests And the Mm -hmm. insights and output from that throughout all the workflows at work and throughout all the interaction points. So imagine a world where, um, uh, let's say a large consulting firm like Accenture has a million employees around the world. You can imagine they're putting teams together all the time. Every three months, you're working with a new group of people and there's people that working and there's a new competency center and you're working on a a client project. You need to call some center of excellence for information and like pull in people for presentations. You're constantly meeting people you don't know. Usually there's a ramp up time to understand how to communicate, collaborate, right? There's Mm -hmm. diversity and inequity issues where, you know, how do different people in China communicate with Americans? Imagine a world where you give to a million people at Accenture a 12-minute, 10-minute personality test. Everybody takes it. They get the results. That's fun. They get to see how everybody on their team, they can work better together. But now all that insight on how you, Alexia, like to communicate, how you like to influence people, how you like to be motivated how you show up basically for meetings and what really gets you engaged all of that is now in the cloud and it's now sp- spun out and digestible moments where alexia is about to write an email to juan and juan's in france and Alexia's in san francisco for instance you ri- open up an outlook email or a gmail you write my name and it's an important thing you're going to ask me about and you don't know me you click on my name and right there in your email it tells you, Juan doesn't like too much information. Keep it conceptual. Juan doesn't like ultimatum, so don't tell him you need feedback by tomorrow. Ask him by when you give him feedback, right? And imagine a world where you actually don't even have to think about that, where AI, you write your email and you push a button and it takes into account what Juan likes to hear and how he likes it being presented. And it rewrites the email for you So that every email is perfectly written. How many times we see emails from people we don't know? We're like, God, what do they mean by that? That, That's really, did they really say that? Well, well, no, it's just we all have different styles, right? Imagine a world where you go into a meeting on Outlook or Gmail calendar. And you click on the meeting and it tells you the culture of the meeting. And it says, Alexia, you're extremely creative. But the 12 people you're presenting to today are extremely structured and data oriented. You might want to change the way you present today or it's not going to land well. Imagine a world where you go into Microsoft Teams and that's the same, or you go into Zoom and all the people in the tiles in Zoom, it shows you the culture of the meeting and who's going to have conflict with you and who to assign action items for the next morning because that's they love being decisive and other people are deliberate. So imagine infusing emotional intelligence throughout all the communication platforms at a company. That's what human intelligence does. It allows everyone to understand each other To then connect and communicate better, which leads to a higher vibration of resonance, better collaboration, better inclusion and belonging. It's the world's first inclusion and belonging platform. There's no product in the world that operationalizes DEIB. We're the first ones ever. Um, And so you get insights on team culture, which allows every team to be more agile. It gives insights to every leader to manage their team better. Because every team has a different culture. It's insane to say one company has one culture. Because I can assure you, if you ask any company, is your finance and accounting team have the same culture as your marketing team? Any company that says yes will be out of business in the next six months. You cannot have a culture that's the same in accounting and in marketing or in sales or in product development. And Coca Cola, for instance, a client of ours, has a very different culture in Brazil than their neighboring country, Argentina, or in China versus their neighboring country in Korea. And so culture is infinite. Look at the U.S. as a country and our culture. You go to Miami, where it's very Latin and Hialeah, and you go to Seattle, where it's very Asian in certain populations. Completely different cultures, but we're all Americans, right? So companies have this plethora and infinite cultures. Human intelligence is the first company to be able to measure all of those, not with an engagement survey, because that actually is not your culture, but actually a, a, a an assessment that allows culture to be bottom up because culture is not top down; it's actually a bottom up thing, where it's the people you have, how they work, how they show up for work at every single level of the company.
0: I think that's really cool, and you know, you're right. So we talked about this a little bit earlier. You know, when you do these different assessments, you know, we love Strengths Profile here at Living HR; it's something that we do. There's all kinds of different ones. There's DISC. There's Myers Briggs,
1: and they're all great for awesome. the moment you take it.
0: Exactly. Right. And so it's kind of up to you to then, okay, I, I have access to this information, but I have to then take the extra step to right. go look for it. So it would be great if I'm like, oh, hey, I'm about to meet with Juan. And it just pops up like, oh, hey, to your point, Juan's very data oriented. You may want to, you know, shift this, or I personally don't like super, super long emails and I won't read them. I'm going to skim it, put it in bullet points, and I can guarantee you I'll read every single one. And if somebody is inclined to write paragraphs, how helpful is that? Can cut down on some of those communication mish- mishaps that I think wind up ultimately creating tension where there right. doesn't need to be. It's just that kind of rub in communication style. So I think that's that's really cool. You touched on something else though that I think, you know, when we're talking about groups that work across the globe, across you know certain geographies, I think a lot of companies have been doing the digital and hybrid thing really well for a super long time. But I think COVID sort of forced a lot more people. Into this digital and/or hybrid space. So when we're thinking about how do we create those connections, how do we leverage tech to create those connections? Whether you're in the office together, whether you're, I'm in the office and you're remote, or whether we're all remote, what are some some really I think tangible ways you've seen tech help to facilitate those connections and help build those relationships? Because it's really hard, you know. I think working in the office, you naturally start to build those relationships right because it's not all business all the time you're here you're chitter-chattering you know you kind of know stuff we've got pictures you can kind of see um people's lives like oh I have a dog too and you start that conversation but digitally I think it's a little different because we're not just in this room all the time so how have you seen that work kind of even beyond human intelligence what are human intelligence what are some other ways you've kind of seen tech help build those connections
1: yeah, so one last example with human intelligence on that point is Slack, right? You have lots of engineers and technology, Microsoft working with China or Costa Rica or Argentina. So imagine when you're on Slack, you're running all these engineers, you have to work together, you're building products together. You click on the, the, the name of the person in Slack and it tells you how to communicate, work effectively. Other ways are that you have these kind of virtual rooms where now it's not it's not static, it's not like just a Zoom, but it's a room where everybody can draw on a whiteboard and they've made technology really easy where that that, you know, you're in a you're in a room and you're whiteboarding, everybody's interacting and, and and making comments. They've created these virtual rooms that actually bring that to life in a three-day way. And one day with augmented reality, people will put on headsets, mm-hmm. right? And companies like Magic Leap are headed that way, where you put on a headset, you're at your home and you're now sitting in a room with other people. You don't know that your your mind feels and thinks that it's in that office and you literally are moving your arms and whiteboarding and there's no difference to your mind from being sitting in Alaska and somebody in China and somebody in the Galapagos Islands, you all feel like you're in the same room and that is coming. And that is happening. One thing that our company does not as a product, but just using tech mm-hmm. to make it more human. Um, I still haven't met like half of my company mm-hmm. of 20 employees, like 10 of them I've never physically met. Right. And I'm running a company where I want people to feel part of something. And when you're only remote, It's really hard. I mean, we have 20 employees in 18 cities, right? (laughs) So, so, and across three countries. And so what we do is we have a monthly all hands meeting Mm -hmm. where it's like the Brady Bunch on steroids with all the little squares. And everyone does share and tell. Everybody talks about what they're working on, like two minutes, um, what they're most proud of, what they did the last month. So what what they're most proud of, what they're working on now. And then the five minute section per person, it's like a two hour meeting, um, but just once a month, um, the five minutes that you're supposed to spend the most of your time is, Talk about your personal life, something interesting that you did in the last three, four weeks that you want to share about your family, about a hobby. And it's a show and tell. You have to share a screen and show something. And so it's really cool because it's kind of like what I have friends who do happy hours with their teams Mm -hmm. remotely and they do like a social happy hour. You can actually use tech to make work fun with each other and get to know each other. And now after six years, these 20 people, I mean. I feel like I know them as well as other people I worked with in the same office for five years. Like, um, you know, it's not the same as going to have lunch and having goodbye hug, you know, Hey, have a good rest of your day. And, you know, but, but it, it, it's getting us closer and, and it it makes it real. And, and, you know, there, there there's a deeper connection, even though I've never met these people because of technology without it, it would be impossible to run this company.
0: Yeah. And I think you said something that's really critical. That's not necessarily specific to tech, but I think it's a key part, right? So one of the big differences in working fully remote and in the office is when I'm meeting with you, it's usually for a purpose. We have a project to get done. We need to collaborate on something. We're having a big company meeting to your point or a smaller team meeting. And so the part that's missing is that water cooler space where you can kind of yes take the pressure off. And so I think, and you're going to have to forgive me for your background noise. I sit next to a window and we're having some pressure storms hence why it also got very dark in the year all of a sudden <laughs> and I'm nowhere near a light switch so this is how we're going to roll um it's allowing people to show up as human beings whether you're in the office or whether you're remote or whether you're hybrid I think it's allowing for that space so whether it's a zoom happy hour we do something similar so we start off our meetings with we call it an energizer so the first five ten minutes or so we do different activities to kind of bond a little bit as a team and so we have whoever hosts the meeting or whoever co-hosts the meeting come up with the activity so um for example our one of our senior designers who's incredibly artistic and the work she does is breathtaking and completely mind-blowing to somebody like me whose like vision of creativity is a really cool formula in excel she had us all (laughs) like collaborate together on this whiteboard and draw things which was my kind of nightmare but it was really cool to see and then other people will do like questions like "We'll play this or that, or we'll do um, sort of like an MTV cribs, and you can show us different things in your house. We allow you know our our dogs and cats and sometimes kids. I was in a meeting this morning, my five month old so' I'm, my five month old so I'm sick today. He joined me in an inner company meeting. It wasn't with clients this morning's so people got to see him, and so how cool to have elements of your humanity show yeah. us. At work and to allow and to have a culture that allows for that, right? It's not just this very cold only business, which I think sometimes is the default. It's encouraging that human connection beyond just doing the work so that, oh my gosh, we can bond. We both love this book, or, you know, we both love to read, we love dogs, we love to cook, we love to run. And I think there's other cool things. Like if you find a bunch of people that love to run and they're geographically dispersed, you can use a Strava to set up a group run. So it feels like you're all having a run club together, you can set up all these different things and encourage that participation so that you start to build those connections. Because to your point, I have a handful of colleagues I've never met, but I feel when I meet them in person, it feels like we've known each other forever. And it's, it feels like we have that same relationship as people I do get to see. So I think that's a, a well, you're,
1: you're hitting, you're hitting on what I think and COVID, you know, horrible health pandemic for sure. Mm -hmm. But I always look at, the totality of things, there has been an offshoot that has been a blessing for humanity mm-hmm. around the world, and that's the following. And you touched on it. Technology enabled remote work. Mm-hmm. Companies aren't going out of business; they're doing as well. They're actually like even more profitable. I think <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of the greatest outputs of COVID and and going remote for many of these companies and people is that we can be more human. Just picture all the men who went to work for the last 50 years in suits, black or brown suits, and all the women who had to wear their suits in black or brown, navy. It's just so like robot. I'm part of a machine. You literally never knew anything about anybody. But with Zoom, which is a technology, so I wouldn't say Zoom made work more human, but because remote work forced technology to become the way you did it, I can now wear a vest and a t-shirt, which three years ago, if we were doing this podcast, I would be seen as unprofessional and not credible. Yeah. But now people can see this is these. Are, I love orange. It's my favorite color, right? You, you can see, you know, my background. I like books. Like you can actually Me see too. and you as well, like pictures. people, people like, Oh, what's that painting over there? Right. So, so you can actually get to know someone at a deeper level and it's okay to show up who you are. And so this kind of like everyone can be themselves and let their hair down was never the case before COVID and before technology allowing for remote work. And I think that's just awesome. Like I I love the fact that I, you know I'm wearing flip-flops right now, right? Like, Like, you know, like, and people at McKinsey and Goldman Sachs are wearing flip-flops. I am sure the joy that brings to their life that they can do that. Right. right. Like, so, you know, and by the way, technology allows for work, which allows you to avoid traffic. So imagine getting back two to three hours a day times five days a week, okay. 15 hours of your life back per week times 50 weeks. It's like 80 hours a year times 50 years. That's like four 40,000 hours, you literally are getting five years more of your life. I don't know what else makes you more human to get five years of life because technology gave it to you. That's a pretty big win for humanity.
0: Right. And I read, um, you know, because there's, there's, I think there's, there's a blend, right? There's some people that unfortunately, more fortunately, depending on what they do, remote work's not an option, right? If I drive right. a truck, yeah. if a, do- I a
1: doctor in. or seeing a patient, correct. You know.
0: Even doctors, though, telehealth, I think, is a a really wonderful thing that's enabled me to be miserable and sick and know that I have, you know, an ear infection or something like that, and just call the doctor instead of having to drive myself to an urgent care to the doctor that they're miserable (laughs) and wait, right, with everybody else that's sick. Even with kids, right, if I know my son just has an ear infection, I can do a telehealth visit and I don't have to bring him into a waiting room where somebody might have something a lot more contagious. And quite frankly, bringing a two-year-old to the doctor is already a production enough when they don't feel well, they don't really need to add to that. Um, so I think there's really wonderful things there. I read somewhere though that people have been trading the, the overall physical health of people. They've been trading in their commutes. They've been going for a walk in the morning or for a run in the morning. It's enabled people to introduce health physically, which also benefit, there's huge mental benefits in lieu of that sitting in traffic for an hour, the amount of stress that's gone down, because now you're not stressed out of, am I going to make it to work on time? Carbon
1: emissions going down. I'm, I wish they would do a study on that post COVID.
0: I'm, I, And I'm sure there's huge environmental impacts. I'm curious though. So we, we do still see people that are really resistant to the idea of continuing remote work, as much as I think it's been widely adopted, I think you're seeing the push now for well, we want people back in office. COVID's over, we want to see this um,
1: go back. Control. It's companies wanting control.
0: So I, I would, I would say, what are and I, I don't disagree with you, I, and I think there's also kind of an element of like, well, we have all this overhead. We're rent, we're paying money for all of this space. What do we do with it? So I think it's kind of a little bit dual sided. So, what are in your opinion? what are some things tangibly people can do to kind of help make the case for either hybrid or fully remote work in companies where that's maybe not the case. I think that would be, um, You know, an interesting thing for some of the people that are going to tap into this is, hey, I would love it if my company supported this, but hey, they're trying to push us back to work. How can I sit with our executive team and convince them like, hey, this is actually a really beneficial thing. What are some data points, especially as a CEO, you know, when people bring those things forward, what do you think is that compelling story of like, at a minimum, give us a couple days a week, right, to work remote if we can, if our positions allow for it?
1: Yeah, so we we sell to thousands of HR execs around the world in different companies, um, different industries. And what seems to be working the best is where companies give the option to employees, but not f- complete free will, hey, everybody do what you want. Right. But hey, the company rewriting job specs and their library of what, what jobs exist, some have to be done in person, mm-hmm. some don't, and some it can be a combination. And then matching people with those options with people's preferences. Some people prefer to be in the office. Mm-hmm. Let them go to those jobs in those companies if there's a good match where they can do that some people prefer to be remote and some people prefer hybrid. Um, you know the rent thing is a big issue people had you know rents you know for 10 20 years out. Um, you know I think what seems to work is there are moments when everybody together so kind of making the whole company what I've seen a lot of clients you know they make Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in office and then another two days everybody can do remote or everyone has to be in office Monday the whole company, Mm-hmm. And then, two other days, but of your choice, right. Those are kind of the most flexible models. that seem to be getting the highest uh, uh, like net promoter score from employees, where, you know, it, it's it's a mix and match depending on what the company needs mm-hmm. and what the employees need. and And, you know, human intelligence actually has a remote work psych- psychometric mm-hmm. output where it shows people, Why they would be good or not good at remote work, and why it's challenging or not, based on their behaviors, their motivators, and their work styles, which is helpful because now companies can use that for matching um, who goes remote and who doesn't. Because there might be somebody who's just really lazy who wants to be at home, and they'd be terrible for working remote. And the company should know that too. Um, And and when the companies hire, they now should be hiring. Remote work profiles, and so a tool like ours is used for hiring uh, people who would be more aligned with the remote work mentality and way of being versus those that actually need to be part of something and 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 in office. Um, but I, I think the verdict's still out, and it's 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 companies just the word agile comes to mind. Companies have to be agile on it and 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 give options to employees and not make it a one way or the other.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, we, um, we recently had a table at HR Florida, um, Oh, that was over in Orlando. Um, and we asked people to weigh in on what, what they think is best hybrid, fully remote or fully in office and hybrid wound up being a big winner, right. It gives you that blend of, I get to see my colleagues and coworkers. I get some time to wear my flip-flops. I'm wearing running shorts. You know, it's great. I don't have to dress like an adult except for the shoulders up, which I'm a big fan of. um, and it's not surprising that that was the case, but I love that you said, give people the choice. I think in a lot of cases, giving the power back to the employees and allowing them to make the decision that works best for them. Because to your point, some people want to be in office or they know for themselves, I can't work at home. I don't right. do my yeah. best work there. I need to be in the office. I need to be free of the distractions and letting that person work from the office. And if there's not an office, giving them some other options. Is there a co-work space where you can rent an office or two, and you can use that as a hotel space for people who want to work from an office, who want that or want to be able to leave their house. Because I think remote's lovely, but sometimes it feels like you just don't leave. Um, yeah, you
1: know? and I think down the road, as, as as this becomes standard and companies are built being remote, mm-hmm. there is going to be a problem where people of, of, of under, un, um, the poor parts of society, that have four or five kids at home, all live in a two bedroom, a two room house or apartment. They don't have the option to re- work remote, even if it's a white collar role, because it's just too crazy at home. And so, you also don't want to create an environment or a society where only rich people can work at home and others just can't get a job for that. So, I think the government needs to step in and subsidize companies to have an in office option mm-hmm. for people from low economic backgrounds. Um, uh, you know, just like education one day is going to be almost all remote and the government's going to have to help students with, uh, you know, un, 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 you know, lower income students with that option too. So I think the government has a role to play for for certain parts of society, whichever way companies end up going. But there'll be more and more that are remote only companies and jobs, but the option to be in office should also always be given. And I don't know if companies should be forced to pay for that and the government might want to help out with that.
0: That's an interesting, that's an interesting concept, because I think there's, there's a lot of, a lot of things to unpack in that and a lot of considerations, right? To your point of, of, we don't want to create a disparate impact. We don't want to create inequities simply because I, my house is not really conducive to working from home Uh, or I can't, I'm not, I don't work from home. Well, there's too many distractions. I'm worried about all these other things that need to be done. And like, you know we all know if you're really putting off something you don't want to do like how many other things all of a sudden pop up. And it was hard. It was a hard adjustment for me because I'm like automatically thinking like all these other things that I could do that I don't want to do on the weekends uh, that are now tempting me when I don't want to do a particular thing. So it's that's an interesting that's an interesting point to bring up. So I think um you know one of the other things I, I want to touch on just a little bit um when companies are evaluating you know new software how, what are some ways they can evaluate how that software will help them humanize work? Because that's not usually why people, like if I'm adopting, for instance, a brand new HRIS, probably humanizing work is not the forefront of my mind. It's I need to automate these things that are manual or this process that I, in my current HRIS doesn't work well, or we've grown beyond the capacity for this. So what are some things from your perspective that would be really helpful to evaluate or to look for in new technologies. So it kind of bridges that gap, right? So, um, you know, from one of the things I look at on an ATS is, can it help me anonymize resumes? Does it help me help my hiring managers mitigate that bias? To me, that's a huge component of being human is, can I bring everyone to the table, right? I want everyone at the table. And then we can kind of pick from there. I don't want a manager being like, well, I don't know how to pronounce that name. So I'm going to shy away, even though that candidate would be the absolute best match for this role. Um, So what are some other things you think are key to look for that you think are going to start to become commonplace trends, right? I think now we see HRIS platforms that come with an ATS embedded, that come with learning programs, that come with performance platforms as part of the solution, whereas before it was you have payroll and then you can add other platforms. You know, I think we're going to evolve to a point where some of these human elements are just commonplace that we see in everything, but what do you think some of those are that people can start looking for now?
1: Yes, there's, there's kind of two buckets here. One is all the technology today for HR function um, for the current state of processes, right? Mm-hmm. We do recruiting a certain way. So there's applicant tracking systems, ATSs that were built for that. ISM, Stileo, Workday, Successor. cetera. There's complete HRS systems, right? There's payroll systems like Paylocity, Paycom, payroll, right? But that's all for the steady state of where we're coming from. And it's not really transformational. And it's a lot of those systems aren't going to make work that much easier. Maybe in an applicant tracking system, uh, you know, one day, instead of having to go through 500 people and track 500 people, the actual ATS does the entire video interview, the or personality assessment like human intelligence. And literally it says, hey, Alexia, you're looking for that job? Here are your two finalists. You just stay three months and you have the two best people for the role. And you say you want someone like the team or different or a fit aspect. And it also gives you that and says, this is your hire. So that, I mean, but the real transformation is going to come when you look at smart technology to rebuild processes. So all the current things in place and all the current technology actually aren't even relevant. The second bucket is where you're identifying your company. You're looking at every job and every process and the whole company it's, you actually have to step out of your current job. There's imagine you'd have to hire a chief transformation officer in HR to look at roles, process, and the business model and say, what what roles have a lot of redundancy? What roles have a lot of tasks that can be streamlined with technology? And actually rethink it and then build technologies or go find technologies that can automate those workloads and reduce the stress of employees so that they can focus on creativity, right? So I think it's really... Looking at tasks and and process, and then based on that and what what could be automated, go out and find technologies or build new ones for those things in your company. Um, and and um, you know and and at all times make sure that that technology aligns with the values of your company, because sometimes technologies don't, and that creates real big problems. Um, you want to make sure also that the tasks that you're automating are not the ones that require empathy and intuition which should be a human thing
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and then when you do use those technologies even before you buy them test them and pilot them don't buy it for your whole company but do it with a certain subpopulation and get feedback and as you're, if you're building it to automate processes at your company um, get like an infinite loop, like an agile development cycle where every two weeks you're getting feedback, you're learning, you're improving, because that, like any new system that's automating process, you're not going to get it right the first time, and you're not going to be able to whiteboard it perfectly. It's literally, let's try this, and then let's adapt, let's be agile, if we develop it, and then just communication to the company and to the people how it can be helpful. Don't just implement technology without a real communication campaign and training campaign because that's key to to get adoption and success. That's what I would recommend.
0: Yeah, I I fully agree. You know, when we see system implementations go really well, it's we get the peer ambassadors for the system, right? We have the people that test it and pilot it for us, not people that are familiar with it, not people that are. Yes. We want the average user to go in there and tell us what's hard, what's easy, where do we need more training? Where do we need more focus and emphasis? This doesn't work, this does work. And then as we roll it out, they have a lot of buy-in into the system. They can then influence their peers. So they're part of that communications campaign, because I'm probably not going to be as excited about something HR is rolling out or that the executives are rolling out. But if my buddy, two cubicles over, two offices over, somebody I work with a lot is like, this system's awesome. And now I have a peer ambassador. I can also go to that person with questions. More likely to go to a coworker than to kind of a senior leader or somebody in HR to be like, this doesn't work. What do I do? So I think that's that's key in getting that buy-in as part of that process. So I think we've, we've kind of covered a lot of things. I, I do have another question. So, and we talked about this at the beginning, kind of upskilling. So we don't think tech is really going to replace workers. I don't think that's the intent either. It's to change the landscape of how we interact with work. So what are some tangible things everybody really can start doing now to start to build proficiency ahead of this curve of where we see AI, smart, smart tech, all these things take over, you know, predictive analytics, all these different things it can do. How do we start to build skills and proficiencies in those areas so that when we start to see this, we're kind of already ready to go. So what would you say are some things, some courses or some books or whatever, what are some skills you think are really essential for people to have broadly?
1: Next week, they can go to HR Tech. It's the largest conference that displays the latest technologies for human resources and that function in managing people and human capital. So that, if the most immediate would be... Go to Las Vegas, uh, (laughs) the 13th of September (laughs) to the 16th. Um, And uh, another thing would be, you know, companies often have a, you know, they have a finance team, they have a a marketing team, a sales team, product development. They also often have a strategy team or uh, a, a, a chief innovation officer. Or Chief growth officer, I think HR should really think about in that function, right? You have the comp and bend people, the town acquisition people, um, you know, HR business partners. I think there should be a role that every large, you know, this is you know, if your HR team's like 20 or more, so you know, right 100 million revenue or bigger, right? So, fortune 5,000, um, a role that's like HR innovation and someone dedicated to it. Because if you look at the profile of people who usually go into HR. They're not the most innovative. I mean, you don't find, you know, it, it's really HR is prevented from getting sued. Where it comes from is, you know, personnel issues and getting sued and dealing with unions and and legal issues and and making sure that you know every, every T's crossed and I's dotted. That kind of flies in the face of innovation. I think HR should kind of get ahead of this and not wait for technology to come to it, but actually have a person in the company. If it's not a full time role. Ask your team in HR, hey, does anybody really creative here and really innovative that you want to take on this as, as one of your kind of uh you know building organizational capabilities where you're tasked to figure out how HR and technology can, can innovate to make the work experience better? Um, you know, sometimes it's a and it's an analyst role, but that's often someone who's just looking at what's out there already. Mm-hmm. But I, I think you know make it a mandate for somebody on the team to look at innovative ways of changing the experience of workers um <clears throat> um you know often that fits under you know the head of culture or engagement or collaboration but i think if it's more seen as just innovation it'd be more well received uh, received um and then just you know read books that come out you know on all these different uh, bestseller lists there's a lot of visionaries out there um who talk about what's coming and, and just just read uh read what's out there publications and hbr and uh you know hro magazine and and uh hr executive magazine these are great publications uh you know living hr (laughs) hr. hr.com uh these are all you know be part of all these things and just get you know get on the mailing list we get a lot of emails but it is just i read all those things and i you know even when my competitors send out stuff i find it helpful i see where everyone's moving
0: yeah. Are there any books in particular that you would recommend? I know we both talked about really enjoying reading. Um, are there any books that you feel like really are, are game changers in terms of the digital space? Which I feel like sounds a little juxtapositional. Are there books that change the digital space? But truly, um, you know, I, I'm reading um, Digital Body Language by Erica Dewan. And I, that's a huge one for me, just because it kind of helps you understand how to communicate in a world where we're virtual, where a lot of that body language is lost. So I, I particularly like that one. But are there any you like on the tech transformation innovation space? Or any authors.
1: Yeah, I'm probably not going to give any one book. There's there's just so many that I've read. Um there's no there's no one like, you know, definitive this is the one you have to read in my mind. They're all good and I take bits and pieces from each of them.
0: Okay. Fair enough. Any podcasts? I know you need some HR magazines, but you know, I think there's um there's so many out there. It's really hard to weed through them all. Um and it's it's always interesting to know what leaders in the space or what innovators in the space are listening to, because then I think that's very inspirational from well, so
1: the, the one the one guy who writes books and does podcasts actually who who is a differentiator i would everyone should get to know simon sinek mm-hmm. and you know he's all around how to connect and how to speak and influence and 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 although that's not technology it it, uh, it maybe it makes sense to leave this hour of of our podcast with you know The old fashioned communication of speaking is still gold at an organization for both executives, middle management, and even the average employee. That's how work gets done. It's communicating. And Simon Sinek is really powerful in the way he articulates what lands well and how to frame things, um, because work and succeeding at work is influencing. And, And he does a really good job in explaining how that works. So... If there's one person I would recommend it's him.
0: Love it. I love it. And he does a lot of uh he's very active on LinkedIn. So he's a pretty active
1: awesome. on LinkedIn, YouTube.
0: Yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> he really books. accessible for uh, a lot of people. Very easy to get to. Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the the time today and the kind of the conversation. This was so fun for me um, getting to chat with you and learn more about human intelligence. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Alexia.
0: All right, Juan. Have a good one.
1: You too. Cheers.
0: Thanks. Cheers
1: but